everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. In this episode, we are going to look at 2002's adaptation through the eyes of my co-host for today, the real-life Susan Orlean, whose book The Orchid Thief is the foundational text for the film. I say foundational text because to say source material, well, that's a bit of a complicated statement. Plus, in our segment, one quick thing before I go, I am going to talk about the show that has uh, usurped my entire personality, and that is Showtime's Yellow Jackets. And now, without further ado, though, let me give my guest, my co-host for today, a proper introduction. She is the author whose latest book is called On Animals, a staff writer for The New Yorker, and she's also a character in the movie we're talking about today. And we'll get into why that is a bit of a surprising detail. Yes, we have Susan Orlean on the pod. Susan, hello. Is there anything else we need to know about you? Oh, my God. Well, I think the most important thing is that absolutely everything in the movie is true. <laughs> yeah, that is the most important thing. And I have to say, as uh, I was a journalist for 15 years, and I do have to say, meeting somebody who works from The New Yorker is like meeting a celebrity, I think, for a oh, journalist. I love so that. I'm, I'm starstruck to meet a veteran New Yorker journalist, I just have to say. Well, I that of course makes me an ink-stained wretch feel really good. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know, much as I'm teasing you, the first time I met anyone who worked at the New Yorker, I was I, I was dumbstruck. I did not handle myself coolly. <laughs> I was you know, it was it has an mind-boggling. Effect. Well, The New Yorker is germane to our conversation here because adaptation is based on your story, The Orchid Thief, which originally appeared in The New Yorker. And then as I, it became – it was built out into a book and then the book was adapted into adaptation, correct? Is that the order of operations? Yes, that's right. Um, I had gone to do the story originally just as a New Yorker story and when – I finished the piece, I knew that I wanted to write more. I just mm -hmm. instantly knew that I wanted to expand it into a book. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, it got optioned as a, uh, the, the article in the mm -hmm. New Yorker got optioned mm -hmm. and we agreed to it on the condition that they wouldn't begin developing the movie until I finished the book. Yeah, so they okay, had to okay. wait for me. Um, and in a sense, they, they optioned the forthcoming book because, right, right. you know, everything that I was going to do then became part of the, um, the property, the right. IP that <laughs> yeah. was used for the movie. Um, so it was a, you know, we had a long relationship, um, over the course of the, you know, several years that it took me to write the book. Yeah. And now for before we get too further, too much further along, I can we we have to you know give a summary of, of what the it's funny to ask you, what is this movie about? Because 
it's it's about your article, but it's not about your article, and it's about you, and it's about Hollywood, and it's about orchids, and it's about it's about everything. So, can let's walk through together a bit. What is this? What is the summary of the movie adaptation? Ooh, now that's a good question. Is I think it though, I think the movie is at its heart about the struggle between art and commerce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Between passion and uh, capitalism. Mm-hmm. It is, the movie is about twin screenplay writing brothers, mm-hmm. one of whom has been hired to adapt my book, The Orchid mm-hmm. Thief. Yeah, I just don't want to ruin it by making it a Hollywood thing, you know, like 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 an Orchid Heist movie or or something, you know, or uh, you know, changing the orchids into poppies and turning it into a movie about drug running, you know? Why, why can't there be a movie simply about, about flowers? The, a name you all may know, Charlie Kaufman, played by Charlie Nicholas Cage. Charlie Kaufman. And then his brother, Donald, who is a Johnny-come-lately into screenwriting <laughs> And decides to write really schlocky yeah. Hollywood movies. Okay, but here's the twist. We find out that, that the killer really suffers from multiple personality disorder, right? See, he's, he's actually really the cop and the girl. All of them are him. Isn't that fucked up? As it turns out, Charlie is completely blocked. He cannot figure out how to adapt my book. Mm-hmm. He becomes obsessed with the book. He becomes obsessed with me. We see Susan Orlean, delicate, haunted by loneliness, fragile, beautiful. She lies awake next to her sleeping, insensitive husband. Her voiceover begins. I suppose I do have one unembarrassed passion. I want to know how it feels to care about something passionately. And he's also absolutely terrified because... He literally can't begin. At some point, Donald, who he's made all sorts of fun of and is treated like his idiot brother. At some point, Donald says to him, I'll help you. And what you need to do is get into the you've got to dig into the passion of the story. And find out really what happened to Susan. I think you actually need to speak to this woman to know her. And as soon as Charlie begins doing that, the book and the people in the book transform from being this sort of meditative book about the nature of passion and the the nature of, you know, being obsessed with orchids and beauty Mm -hmm. and art into something kind of raw and (laughs) commercial and where it turns out these orchids are actually, you know, people are passionate about them because they are turning them into a drug Yes, that when you take this drug, you are able to experience passion. Yeah. Well, it does that. That's what I wanted to tell you. And I think you'd like it, Susie. It seems to help people be fascinated. 
And now, do you feel, do you feel like that is like the, when you, in describing like a, a story that is originally about like the nature of passion and about the orchids, is that a fair way of assessing your original story? Is that what you think the, the like the, the cell, original cell of the orchid thief is, is a study of that sort of passion? Absolutely. <clears throat> Which is why when people say to me, oh, were you disappointed that they didn't do a more literal adaptation mm-hmm. of the book? I feel that the movie ends up addressing the themes of the book in a more mm. a, a more thorough way mm. than a purely literal adaptation would have. Yes. Because the book really is um kind of marveling at the nature of how being passionate about something gives your life meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether you're passionate about orchids or you're passionate about cast iron skillets or whatever you're <laughs> yeah. passionate about, that that is, and a lot of the meditation in the book is also about the nature of being a journalist and that yeah. in a sense, being a journalist denies you the chance to really surrender to a particular passion mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you're an observer you're meant to be an observer you're meant right. to be a person who always keeps an objective perspective totally as opposed to the person who surrenders them themselves to something some object some yeah. plant whatever it is <laughs> And we are, it's funny because like, you know, we always ask like, what's the character we're talking about today? And that is, we're asking you a question. I dare venture to guess we're not going to ask anybody else who comes on this podcast, which is, what's the character we're discussing? What's the character we're going to discuss today, Susan, in the movie adaptation? Well, her name is Susan Orlean. (laughs) And she is a writer for the New Yorker magazine. And she's played by Meryl Streep. She's played by Meryl Streep, whose hair is blonder than mine. (laughs) And in real life, and she's taller than me. But she, (laughs) so she is in the movie, in the world of the movie. She is a journalist who has what appears to be not a loveless marriage, but but a somewhat passionate passionless marriage Mm -hmm. and she's fascinated by the people she writes about who are capable of just surrendering themselves to something i wanted to want something as much as people wanted these plants but it isn't part of my constitution I suppose I do have one unembarrassed passion. I want to know what it feels like to care about something passionately. Um, And as I said, it's sort of exploring the idea of what it takes to be a journalist and that this idea of having to keep arm's length. And so she is both fascinated by John LaRoche, who is Mm -hmm. the character at the center of this orchid thieving yeah played Um, played fantastically by chris cooper yeah i mean it's a it's an epic performance (laughs) and 
So she's both fascinated by him, frustrated by him, sort of repelled by him. Yes. And then as the story evolves, she becomes romantically involved with him. And she basically embraces this idea of becoming passionate. And now I like with with the knowledge under our belt of the kind of work that Spike Jones makes and the kind of work that um that Charlie Kaufman writes, uh Spike Jones obviously the director of this. The idea of like, oh, I'm gonna be a character in a movie written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Spike Jones, that is a sort of fascinating place to start from. And then you add into the fact that like you realize you learn at some point that you're going to be played by Meryl Streep. And then at a certain juncture, you also learn that this story is gonna careen into a fascinating version of drama where you are uh imbibing uh hallucinogenic drugs and party to the murder of a man and you're having a whirlwind passionate affair with the source of your story what is it like learning these successive beats about <laughs> this movie that is based on your work that is like a, a thoughtful meditation on passion and you're like okay so this is how it's gonna go how is that experience well it it was really crazy <laughs> seems crazy in a word crazy well let me give you a little bit of the this sort of as they say the tick tock on this sure, sure, because sure, sure. it was a very weird progression um as i said i wrote the this only story. appropriate kind of progression for this movie yeah i, I mean it would have to be it would have, it would to, have, be. To, it would have to be weird and yes. convoluted <laughs> so you know i had written this story and it immediately got optioned um practically before it was published in the New Yorker. Wow. And wow. I was shocked. I was completely shocked. I remember saying to my agent, well, this is so weird. How are they going to make this into a movie? It does yeah. not seem <laughs> at all like movie material. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, that's not my worry. I don't, mm -hmm. that's not my concern. I mean, they're mm -hmm. optioning it. Let them go make a movie. That's, and I've, I had had other stuff option before mm -hmm. and my attitude always was good for good you know enjoy it and just invite me to the premiere yes that was always millennials and just by the way millennials ever grateful to you for your outside magazine article life swell which became the movie blue crush so thank you susan orlean <laughs> yay well i love that movie and i <laughs> yes, am very absolutely. It, yeah i swear to god i have never met anyone under the age of like 35 who hasn't <laughs> seen it it is that a life in streaming and on yep. dvds that has been I, honest to god i don't think i've ever met a person of millennial or younger who hasn't seen it it's so it, is, it carries on it endures blue crush endures yeah which is awesome and you know my relationship to that movie was sort of what i expected i would have yeah. with adaptation which is fantastic great you know i'm excited to see my name up and yeah. On the credits, and there you go. <laughs> and Charlie Kaufman at that time meant nothing to me. Um, the um, being John Malkovich was not out yet. Oh, it yeah, was, that's right. That's it right. was being shot, but it mm -hmm. hadn't come out yet. Spike Jones, I knew of from the music video world, but I yeah. thought, all right, he's like a kid. 
And anyway, I thought, go get, make a fun movie or do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. As I said, they had to wait for me. I wrote my book. Yeah. And after I wrote the book, I waited a while. And then I got called by the producer who said, um, we've got a script and we'd love to share it with you. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, you know, that's not even required, but I said, yeah, yeah sure. Fine. Uh, you want to throw it in the mail? And he said, no, 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 let's go out to lunch. <laughs> okay. What and do you got to say to me? <laughs> All right. And we get to lunch and he says, uh, order, why don't you order a cocktail? And I said, well, it's, <laughs> it's like lunch. I normally don't yeah. drink at lunch. Yeah. He said, oh, come on, let's have a drink. I thought, all right, I'll have right. a drink. And then it was like, let's get a starter as along with your entree. And oh then let's get dessert. And I thought, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. And finally, after the dessert, after the after lunch drinks, after the coffee, I oh finally God. said, Ed, Ed, I got to go. Um, yeah, but what do the hell is going like, on? What's cooking? I mean, where's the script? And he, he kind of pauses and then he pulls out a manila envelope and he said, look, before I give this to you, I just want to tell you there are some people in here who are not in your book. Okay. And I, I said, okay, that's okay with me. And he said, and it's a little different from the book. <laughs> And I said, okay. And he said, but I just want you to know, we love it. We think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I And and call me the minute you read it. <laughs> I'm glad that everybody involved, I'm glad nobody thought it was like normal. I'm glad they weren't just like, oh yeah, hand it to Susan. It's it's what it's typical. They were like, we got to we oh, gotta couch this a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, <laughs> how, how do we, like, lay down a layer of a good lunch first? And then <laughs> I said, fine, fine, fine. I don't know what the big deal is. Whatever. Right, right. I'll call you. And I headed back to the New Yorker offices, in fact, and pulled out the script. And the mm-hmm. first thing I saw was that they had changed the name from The Orchid Thief to Adaptation. And right. I thought... That's weird. Yeah. And then I saw that there were two names on the screenplay. That's right. Because Charlie Donald and Donald Kaufman. That's yeah. right. In fact, there was a great deal of controversy at the Oscars mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they wanted, he got nominated for the uh, best adapted screenplay and he mm-hmm. wanted it to go to Donald and Charlie Kaufman. Right. And, and Donald Kaufman, not a real person. Fictional, fictional creation. And there was, so the Academy was sort of pushing back and saying, we can't nominate an imaginary person. Anyway, right, yeah. I, so I see Donald Charlie and I thought, oh, that's weird. I guess he has a brother. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't know. I open it up and I'm flipping through and there's page after page of Susan does this, Susan does that. And I yeah. thought, what the, and <laughs> Susan, and then I thought, I, this is so weird. Why yeah. I did not expect to appear in this in any way. Anyway, I just thought this is too weird. I, mm. and at that point I had flipped to a page where it's Susan appears on a porn site. Oh my God. 
because LaRoche is like, there's that ridiculous scene where he's like, I'm getting into the internet. And he's like learning how to sell nude photos online of any old woman, it sounds like. And yes, there is the reveal that she, Susan's body is on this website of porn that he is selling. And... Charlie Kaufman is masturbating to this image. And I (laughs) thought, whoa, I do not know what is going on with this. But I just put it aside. I thought this is just (laughs) like too weird. And I let a day or two go by without knowing, I found out later, that they were all freaking out the producer charlie they were all going berserk because they thought "Uh uh-oh she hates it and it's several days went by and i thought and i I may have been that my agent at some point called me and nudged me a little and i thought Mm. okay all right whatever and i called the producer and they were like oh We didn't want to bother you, but we've been sitting tirelessly waiting for this call. We haven't moved in three days. And I said, (laughs) you know, look, I don't, I don't really get what you guys are doing, but you cannot use my name. And right. he said, what do you mean? And I said, you're going to ruin my career. I mean. Right. <laughs> you're like, you know that part in the script where Susan flips out because she's like, I can't have people seeing me with drugs and with my source like this. I can't have people thinking this about me. <laughs> well, exactly. You're, like, you're I mean, right. That would be bad for me, you guys. And I just said, you're just going to. I mean, look, I can't withdraw the option. Yeah, And you can make whatever movie you're making, but you can't use my name. And I never agreed to that. Yeah. Dead silence. They said, but Susan, everyone in the movie is real. Everybody's using their real name. And it really would mean a lot to us to make it be that everyone in the movie is the real person. And it's, it's true. And I said, well, Ed, the, you know, this really isn't going to ruin my career. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't like have sex with my sources. Contrary to what Hollywood tells you, ladies and gentlemen, I would like it to be on the record right now that despite what you've seen in the pictures, female journalists are not, in fact, in the practice of routinely having sex with their sources. Here, here. What the hell is that? Susan, why can't women journalists be in a movie without having sex with their source? Batman, Vicki Vale, Katie Holmes, thank you for smoking. Kate Mara, Iron Man 3. That's just off the top of my head. Kate Mara again, House of Cards as Zoe Barnes. Oh my God, that's so funny. And you're right. Fictional Susan Orlean. In this movie with LaRoche. We're just, women journalists are just super hot and super, like, hypersexual. And who the hell knows? And, of course, (laughs) this is the irony that, of course, all Hollywood movies have their women journalists having sex with their sources. So Almost nobody in movies besides active 
gangsters have worse PR than journalists. That's true. That's <laughs> true. It is it is egregious. It's like career criminals and journalists right. are the ones in movies that are like, oh, they're here? We're gonna fucking hate them. Okay, yeah. I know that yeah. for sure. And they're corrupt, they're evil, whatever. And yeah. so I I just said, no, 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 no. I said, you, you look, just go, just use a different name. You yeah. can't use my name. Mm-hmm. And then here was the killer move Ooh. where the producer said to me, how are you going to feel when we flash a huge image of your book on screen, but it has a different name as the author? Oh, <gasps> brutal. Oh, my God. That's a oh, genius play. It was the smoothest move imaginable they were like listen we won't bring this up unless she really has a problem with it but this is the card we're gonna play if she's like you can't yeah Damn. well it was like immediately i thought whoa yep. whoa 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 no 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 you are <laughs> not showing my book with someone else's name i yeah. mean and then he said to me listen remember i mean you think you look bad Charlie is shown masturbating through the entire movie. Yes, yes. You know, as this like pathetic wonky guy who's jerking off every five minutes, and yes. and he's not complaining. And I, I thought, well, good point, good point. Sure, but it was sure. absolutely playing to my ego because the minute I pictured my book with a different yep. author's name on it, I just said. I withdraw the objection. <laughs> you're like, you're like, maybe, listen, maybe I was a little hasty. Right. <laughs> All right. Now we are going to take a quick break. But when we get back, Susan is going to talk more about what it was like being portrayed by Meryl Streep. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery is here, so listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feelings Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I'm speaking to Susan Orlean about adaptation. Before we went to break, we were discussing the process of Susan finding out that she was going to be a character in the script. And I wanted to ask you, since the script deviated from reality so much, did Meryl have, you know, the Meryl Streep have any conversations with you about playing you? 
I didn't. I spent a ton of time with Spike Jones. Ah, okay, that's um, it. where he interviewed me at great length. I spent mm. time with the costume, uh, the costume designer. Mm. I spent a lot of time with people in pre-production. Got it. Got it. I kept assuming that Meryl would come and listen to my accent and watch my mannerisms. Sure, sure. And and then. Um, the time came and went mm-hmm. and she, you know, and I find, at some point I said to the producers, well, is Meryl going to come and meet with me? And they said, oh, no, she already shot her part. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And then when I met her at one of the screenings, um, first she said to me, oh, my God, I hope you'll forgive me. <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> Which was very funny. And then she said to me, I, you know, that she had a number of friends who were journalists and that she, so she didn't, there's nothing particular about my, the way I carry my body or express Mm -hmm. myself that was going to inform the character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she said she really, you know, it was a kind of invention that almost was beside the point, whether I was this way or that way. And, and it really is very much a, um, I mean, there are aspects of the character that are very familiar to me, obviously, but the whole creation of her anguish was a very exaggerated version of Mm. what I think a lot of journalists go go through who are writing about people who are very much in a subculture, who are very mm-hmm. absorbed by the subculture, and you're the outsider. Yeah. Well, and that, like, that, th- this is an interesting, like, the way I, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, so this is, like, and, and talking to you about it now, like, she was essentially creating you from interviews, it sounds like, that Spike did, and then relayed to her, and then her observational sort of in- extrapolations from, like, other media people she knew, and obviously her, you know, she she's an artist, she creates characters, and it, like... She is doing the thing of creating a character in a story based on interviews and observational data in a not in a hyperbolic but not dissimilar way that a feature writing journalist creates a character in a story from interviews and like I am presenting this most complete version of a person that I can for purposes of the story and it has to be accurate and ethical but at the same time it is still my through my filters to like she is essentially doing the same thing Right. That journalists do that you have done to put people in your stories. What was that like watching somebody else do that process to you, of you? Be like, well, oh, so this is what it's like being a character in a story that well, like you're I not mean, the author of. It's, it's actually, in many ways, a really good experience to have mm. for someone who does this for a living. Totally. To, to be on the other side of it and to feel that that combination of fascination and dread of how am I being portrayed and did they get me right? Did they get me wrong? It was really interesting. I will say the first screening I went to, which was very early, it was a rough cut. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the music in yet. They didn't Mm. have the color matching. I mean, it was a, and it was very long. Okay. It's just like an assembly cut. Like you're just watching an assembly of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the original, not the one we saw, but the one immediately before was like four hours long. 
Okay. And then the <laughs> the version we saw was over like two and a half hours long. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I had never seen a movie in such a raw state. No, yeah. And oh my God. I mean, I went with my husband and we were both sitting there like, what the fuck? I mean, (laughs) this is how this works? How do movies exist? I also felt, and I can only compare this to being nine months pregnant and thinking it's too late now. (laughs) This is gonna happen. It's coming into the world. Exactly. Now, what we were, now, I want to go back to something we were talking about before. And how like you were like how it was it was actually really interesting you, you were saying to see the the treatment of you in the way that like adhering to reality and facts as you do as a journalist instead of being like we're gonna drama this up for Hollywood was there any sort of like in the way that I feel like writers learn so much more about writing if they have to themselves be editors at any point in time or fact checker researchers like you learn different things about your craft by being on the other end of working with that copy. Did you like watching this movie and going through that experience? Did that like, was there any kind of like evaluation period for you? Like, did you think about your own work in a different way? Or did you think about previous work you had done in a new way after having gone through this process and been the one kind of biting your nails of like, Oh my God, how's this going to turn out? Absolutely. I I think it made me look at the book differently. Mm. And that I think is part of the genius of the film is that I do think the book had this sort of melancholy strain running Mm. through it about wishing to be able to surrender myself to some kind of devotion that I saw in these people around me. Mm Mm-hmm. I had never, I had never really, I didn't write the book thinking that's what I was writing about. Right. Well, and it's similarly, a book is not dissimilar to a movie in that, like, you don't know, like, once it leaves your hand and goes out into the world, same thing with an article, it, of course, it belongs to you, but then it also belongs to the world. And people process that however they're going to. Like, you don't know how the thing that you make that's going to arrive in the world at this time, what lenses and interpretations are going to be applied to the thing that you made. And, like, oh, yeah, like, the amount of subtext that people can put into your stuff that maybe you thought a little about, but then, like, suddenly becomes, like, the core conversation of a film, the idea of like the the idea of that is just kind of insane how it's like oh and now I'm looking at the way I'm getting a megaphone back at me it's not just like maybe some commenters and like the very polite I would imagine New Yorker feedback forums like this isn't this isn't Twitter this is the New Yorker but like you are getting the thing of here is a petri dish example of my work goes out into the world and in a way starts belonging to everyone and then they get to decide of me whatever it is I put out there in the subtext in between the lines of what I said that is wild yeah exactly a hundred percent what you just said. I I think that the movie is about the transaction between an artist and an audience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you sell to the basis instinct or aspire to something more enlightened and ennobled? Yeah. It's about the fact that once you put work out into the world, it's anybody's game to interpret it and project on it and see things in it. Yeah. It's also very much about the fact that the nature of art is 
that you don't even know what coded messages you're putting in your work because yeah. you don't even know yourself that well. And in fact, you know, while the at the time I was married to somebody else, mm-hmm. going through a somewhat difficult period of my marriage, but not acknowledging it to myself. Oh, wow. And so it was super freaky to see Whoa. my marriage portrayed in the movie and thinking, holy shit. Whoa. How is oh my that? God. How is that? How did Charlie, is it just a wild <laughs> guess? Is it just a, is it, embedded in the the book in a way I didn't recognize what is what is I mean it was very interesting and that's why I say I I learned a lot about the book and also just I mean it was a pretty intense experience besides the you know oh it's crazy to see Meryl Streep saying her name is Susan Orlean. Of course, that's crazy. (laughs) Of course, that's crazy. (laughs) But the other kind of deeper level was Mm -hmm. in a way even more crazy and feeling, whoa, how is my heart really on the page? Is that, is it that evident? And it was quite profound. Because it's, it's one thing to, like, go to therapy and have that kind of experience or that kind of revelation or realization. But then when you, like, when you don't think you're going to therapy and then you're watching yes. the movie that you start and you're like, fucking, I'm in therapy right now. <laughs> like, yeah, oh exactly. Oh, I right. didn't realize I was paying for this time like this. Yeah, and it certainly throws you where you think, whoa, I had no idea. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And either in some cases you think, oh, lucky guess. In other cases, do you think, no, a close reader is picking up more maybe than you realize. Uh huh, uh huh. Or, you know, your work is inflected by the truth of what your life is Mm -hmm. at any given moment, particularly when you're not writing breaking news or political stories but instead something that's yeah. much more impressionistic and yeah. meditative yeah yeah all right now we are going to take a quick break but when we get back we are going to talk about how the movie adaptation has affected susan's work Hi, it's Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. It's the Thanksgiving season, and I want to take this opportunity to thank you, the members of Maximum Fun. This Max Fun Drive, your generosity and your love of pins, helped us raise over $90,000 to help bridge the digital divide. Families without internet access struggle to do things that the rest of us might take for granted, especially during COVID, going to school, applying for jobs, Providing medical care. Your donations help the nonprofit Everyone On. They provide equipment, services, and training to get people online so they can access opportunity. You can find out more about the great work Everyone On does at everyoneon.org. 
Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting everyone on. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. back to Feeling Scene. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I am speaking to Susan Orlean about adaptation. Before we went to break, we were talking about how watching adaptation affected you on a personal level. But what about professionally? Did watching this representation of yourself impact your approach to your work? It did not make me self-conscious, which I mm-hmm. think is important. Yes. Um, it didn't make me think, oops, no, that's too personal or... Mm-hmm that reveals too much. So it didn't affect me in that negative way of making me think, well, I don't want to show as much on the page. And probably it made me feel more comfortable, perhaps, Mm -hmm. following my instincts about writing the stories that I want to write. I think that that feels like a best case scenario, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had fun. I had a little bit of a shock. I had a little, <laughs> a little bit of a surreal experience, but overall, oh, mm-hmm. overall a hundred percent, it was a good experience. And, and look, I love the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard not to feel just grateful to be part of a movie that has for 20 years been continued to be a touchstone when people are talking about movies that are sort of postmodern and examining the nature that, you know, it's a meta movie, obviously. Yeah. And it truly, it truly gives me hope that one day I might see myself on screen as Monica Bellucci playing an assassin. But hey, there you go. All right. Like, I can't wait to get that call where it's like, you're you're an assassin and you're also Monica Bellucci, no matter what age Monica Bellucci is at the time that this movie might exist. And And I'll be like... Fabulous in every (laughs) possible, at at every angle and every set. Put me in a rubber dress. Make me Persephone from The Matrix, but as Monica Bellucci and be like, that's Jordan Cruciola. I will be like, I give myself over to you and let us go on this journey together. Um, Normally, I would ask guests to do uh, a like fan fiction continuation of their their avatar character but here as we live and breathe you are the you are the realization of the actual live action Susan Orlean so i feel like we don't really have that available available as an option so i guess i would just say Susan is there anything before we send you off back out into the world after you so generously given us your time to talk about this today, is there anything you want to direct people to? Is there perhaps a book that you would, uh, in your most recent past, like to to let people know is out there? What 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 do you want the world to know? Ah, well, I obviously always love the idea that people go read The Orchid Thief after they yes. see adaptation, and and I think they make a great companion experience for the sure companion reader the companion reader to yeah, adaptation the organ the compare and contrast um and i do think it enriches the experience of seeing adaptation if you read the book mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so that would be my kind of reading tip i have a new <laughs> book that just came out called on animals if you want to mm-hmm. continue my particular journey and <laughs> um and i would just say that 
you know, really go back and watch all of Charlie Kaufman's movies for a great experience. <laughs> yeah, like go, go read read the totality of each of your oeuvres uh, to get a real complete picture on our discussion here today. Yeah, I'm not, you know what? That would be kind of interesting to, <laughs> to just, because in a way we couldn't be less alike Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet, at the same time, I've never felt more seen than I did in the in this particular adaptation. That is, that's that's it. That's the kicker right there. That's the kicker. We've got it. No notes. Um, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. This has what been a pleasure. I, I didn't know. I was like, I know this is going to be a good conversation, but I was so curious to see where it went. And I so appreciate you going on this little journey with us to talk about this day. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. My pleasure. It's really been a joy. All right. That was Susan Orlean. Uh, all my journalism nerds out there, shouts out to you for uh, fango- fangirling over Susan for this episode. Please go check out her work. Check out On Animals. Check out The Orchid Thief. I mean, go watch Blue Crush. She she has been winding her way through our lives for so many years and years. But before we end today, I do have to say one quick thing before I go. And that is the recently debuted Showtime series Yellow Jackets. If you follow me uh, on any part of the internet, you have probably noticed me talking about Yellow Jackets a lot. I have decided that Yellow Jackets is now a substantial part of my identity. Uh, This show was co-created by the wife and husband writer duo of Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson. And it follows, it it cuts back and forth between a previous timeline, an earlier timeline set in the 1990s and the present day. And in the 90s timeline, we have a state championship, a champion high school soccer team, girls soccer team. They have won their way to get a shot at the national championship tournament. They get a chartered flight to, you know, cross the country to go to the nationals tournament and their plane goes down somewhere in the Canadian wilderness. And that's when we cut to the present day timeline and we meet the adult incarnations of a few of those who survived who survived the crash and who survived a 19-month stint in the forest before they were rescued. And this cast of adults, I mean, this is a this is a who's who of who was your 90s girl icon avatar. Not that they have not also gone on to have, you know, wonderful success throughout their career, but these these women were minted in the 90s. They were our alt queens. You have Melanie Linsky, you have Christina Ricci, you have Juliette Lewis uh rounding out the um core four adult cast. We have Tawny Cypress as well. And this the young cast in the teen timeline, Sophie Thatcher, Ella Purnell, Kia King, everybody's doing great work. Samantha Henratty, everyone is doing tremendous work here. And what we come to realize over the course of the first episode is that in the present day timeline, either law enforcement or the press has started sniffing around, approaching our core cast, Melanie Linsky et al., 
to find out, to try and find out once again what really happened out there in those woods. They all made a pact somewhere along the line. What happens in cannibal ritualistic murder land stays in cannibal ritualistic murder land. I am so hyped on this show because the intersection of cannibal girl teens, athlete girl teens, queer girl teens, and adult girl to woman vengeance, possibly blood-soaked, very emotional, highly intense, it's drama, it's death, it's extravagant genre, and it is directed in the pilot by Karin Kusama. I mean, you couldn't... It's like this show was algorithmically generated to please me. And I, as a person who lives to share my joy with this world, who wants us all to be experiencing joy together, I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me on the Yellow Jackets journey. I want you to honor these iconic actresses with me. I want us all to be watching Yellow Jackets together and remembering that thing a few years ago, God, was it a few years ago now, where it was announced that there was going to be like an all-female adaptation of Lord of the Flies. And then there was like a messy day on the internet where everyone was like, this is stupid. Female Lord of the Flies wouldn't happen. This is like an intrinsically male story. I don't know. I probably said some bullshit like that too. I, I'm not saying I was innocent in all this. But, you know, as so many people will tell you, have you ever met, been seen, been exposed to a collection of teen girls? This is Lord of the Flies, ladies and gentlemen. This is a sociological this is bear trap. I cannot think of a demo that I would like to see in a genre film and television setting go more base, elemental, reflexive animal instinct than a group of teen girls. It's, it's going to be emotionally horrifying. It's going to be visually horrifying. And every episode's going to make me want to die. And that is... Such an exciting prospect. So it's Yellow Jackets time. It's fucking Melanie Linsky time. The legend Melanie Linsky. It's Christina Ricci time. It's Juliette Lewis time. Let's all come together. Let's gather around for girl terror, for queer longing, for power lesbians, because this show is going to have it all. And I need to be able to report back to as many people as possible on this. So get in the conversation and let's all Yellow Jackets together. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash FeelingScenePod. You can also send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorcrew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.